medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen in to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you 
my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Geological. My guest today is Henry McCann. Henry is the author of two books, one on Dongshir acupuncture, which is going to be the subject of our show today, and another one on bloodletting, which actually has a lot to do with uh, the Dongshir acupuncture. It's part of that tradition as well. He teaches all over the United States, and uh, in particular at PECOM in New York City. He also uh, teaches at a couple of doctorate programs, one in Portland, the other one in uh, the Bay Area. And also travels internationally to teach people about uh, Dong-style acupuncture. So I'm very excited to have him on the show today. And we're going to get deep and geeky into this particular aspect and tradition of acupuncture. Henry, welcome to Geological. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm curious, and I often ask this of people at the beginning, how did you find your way into this particular aspect of acupuncture? I mean, there's so many different parts of our tradition. What drew you to the Dong style? You know, uh, it, to some extent, I think uh, a lot of us sort of uh, fall into places uh, part by by dumb luck, by uh, or you know, if you don't if you don't like d- dumb luck and whatever sort of resonance maybe we have in. Uh, from whatever, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I had, without really knowing it, been exposed to some of the ideas uh, in Dong's acupuncture from one of my early teachers. I, I initially trained at the New England School of Acupuncture, and one of our early teachers uh, was a, a was a Taiwanese acupuncturist. Um, and you know, if you're probably most of your listeners know, but if they don't know, uh, Master Dong spent the last part of his life uh, living and practicing in Taiwan. So his his writings uh, and his teachings were mostly first disseminated through other Taiwanese acupuncturists because they, he never taught outside. He never taught in mainland China when he lived when he was a younger person before he before he left for Taiwan after the uh, after the war in the middle of the 20th century. And so when I was in school, I was introduced to some of the principles uh, that we talk about quite a bit in terms of channel relationships and ways of looking at connecting channels even without it being sort of described as being from a Dong perspective. So from very early on, I was predisposed to sort of looking at acupuncture a certain way. And then it was really just uh, a a series of coincidences, perhaps, you know, uh, quite a long time ago, I found Miriam Lee's book. And when I first read it, I thought to myself, how could I have gone through a professional acupuncture training program, and all these other points and all these other traditions exist, and yet, 
I had never heard about them, right? right. And I, I was fortunate enough to go through a training program where TCM was not the only uh, method of, of, of treatment that was taught. You know, the New England School of Acupuncture uh, was very was renowned uh, for its very detailed and in-depth program in Japanese acupuncture systems. So uh, very early on, I was predisposed to be s- sort of to favor at least to some extent non-TCM systems and being comfortable with working within more than one system at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of like being bilingual. Yes, it, absolutely, without a doubt. It, it definitely is. Uh, and you know, it's something that for me was really foundational in that I was taught to look at acupuncture from a number of different perspectives and not just, you know, taught through, for example, just a quick CEU class. You know, it was it was an intro. The Japanese acupuncture was an integral part of the training at uh, the New England School. Mm-hmm. And so after reading Miriam Lee's book, I, re, I I was frustrated that there could be all this information out there that yet I had never heard of that wasn't really being talked about much and so that sent me on a on a and this, it was the same with my background in bloodletting. You know, all these teachers talked about bloodletting, how important it was, how great it was, and yet in my own training, I had maybe half of one technique class in three plus years of training. And so, how could it be such an important thing? But we spend so little time on it. Right. It's it's almost like a little tease. It's like here's something exactly. you should know about it, and huh? Well, now what? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that sort of led my exploration and then, you know, my later drive to seek out whatever teachers I could seek out over the years to eventually start getting whatever texts I could out of Taiwan uh, and, 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 and China and just to really sort of immerse myself in the system that way. And so that was my initial sort of foray into it. Great. We're going to get into some of that detail here uh, of the Dong system. But before we do, because, you know, so many people listening to this show, maybe all they've been exposed to is, is the TCM, the textbook, the stuff that we all need to learn because there's a test that we have to pass. And, it, and there's plenty of good stuff in the TCM. It's not like it's wrong. It's just one part of the tradition. And yet, it seems so often whatever we learn first it kind of sticks and it's often hard to shift and go beyond our initial impressions or our initial learnings. So before we get into learning some things about the Dong system, what would you say are some key elements or some key things that we probably have to unlearn if we're going to really jump into the Dong Shu system and be able to learn something from it? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a really good question uh, and it's a really sort of it's an important thing that you just identified in that our early training oftentimes as a teacher myself, I hope that our early training sets the stage for later learning. But the truth is for many people, the early training is basically where it starts and where it ends. And, you know, I, I am, I want to be clear in saying that I don't think that TCM, for example, as a systems approach to acupuncture in any way is bad. You know, I think that every every way of looking at it has potential pluses and negatives. And I think TCM is some of the best acupuncturists I've ever seen in practice uh, in terms of their ability to really treat disease effectively have been TCM practitioners. And so, you know, I agree with you that TCM is is important for many reasons. 
one of the things I like about TCM is that it tends to, in its theoretical model, sample a number of other systems or a wide variety of, for example, diagnostic paradigms, ways of looking at channels, way of look, ways of looking at zhang fu, et cetera. So I think it gives people a fantastic grounding. You know, so to some extent, I would say that there's really nothing we need to unlearn. We just be basically be we we basically need to sort of train ourselves to look at being able to analyze the material that's already there, perhaps from different angles and perhaps in a more in-depth way than it's given in the basic training. You know, the textbooks, the basic textbooks are great, but I think we need to keep in mind that they're just basic textbooks. And they're there to give us a beginning foundation and material from which we can springboard into a deeper, hope, hopefully, understanding of, of what's what we're doing therapeutically. You know, the, the only thing I would say perhaps that needs to be unlearned is that, in my opinion, acupuncture and herbal medicine are – they don't exactly work – hundred percent the same. They're, 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 they're perhaps different methods. They're different mechanisms of action. They're different ways of accessing the body and for better or for worse, TCM, because of the emphasis on herbal medicine in mainland China today, in my opinion, tends to be more herb focused. So when people are learning herbal medicine, I think TCM serves them better when they're, than when they're learning acupuncture as a standalone therapy. So perhaps I think the big thing we need to unlearn is that acupuncture points are not necessarily herbs mm. and we can't we can't necessarily see them as such right right that's a great distinction acupuncture points are not herbs right they're not herbs i mean and so i mean the, whenever i teach it there are a couple of key examples that i give and you know if like one of the examples i give is i ask people like what kidney two does you know so what does what does the main function of of ranko of kidney two and the all over the world, whenever I've asked this question, all the TCM students always say it clears, like it clears uh, vacuity fire, clears empty heat, something like that, right? Which, yes, it does. But if we go back and look at the traditional list of indications for that point, we in, we see included, for example, conditions like fifth watch diarrhea, right? Which last time I checked, doesn't really come from a kidney yin insufficiency. It comes from some sort of problem in the yang and the heating aspect of the kidney. So we can see that kidney two has some sort of sort of regulating effect on the kidney channel and its relationship to fire phase because it's an ink spring point, it's a fire point. So it can go both ways, right? It doesn't only have to treat a problem of a yin insufficiency, it can regulate the kidney relationship with fire. And there isn't really a single herb, for example, that warms the kidney yang as well as clears acuity heat at the same time, right? Right. So it's so to some extent it's it's just different. When putting a needle in kidney two is not like giving someone an herbal formula or even a single herb. So I think that perhaps is and it's not only for learning Dong's acupuncture. I think to really be a good acupuncturist, I think that's one of the first things we need to sort of not necessarily unlearn, but re perhaps evaluate on a little bit deeper level, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. Well, and I like the way that you point out is the ink spring point. It's the fire point on the kidney channel. And so whenever you're thinking about kidney and fire issues or even water issues to some degree, right, because fire and water have that kind of a relationship, you can begin to look into these kind of resonances. This yes, is, yes. And this is one of the things I love about the Dongshir yeah. acupuncture is it's so much based on resonance. 
Right. And and that word resonance to me is very important, right? Because this is, in my opinion, you know, at, at PCOM in New York City, I, I teach classical texts. And, you know, sometimes I think to myself when I'm teaching books like the Neijing in particular, maybe not the, maybe not the Nanjing, but the, the Neijing definitely, I think to myself, is this a book of medicine that talks about cosmology? And the cosmological discussion is all about this idea of resonance, right? Mm -hmm. Like how we as humans resonate with the natural world, how that really impacts us, you know, sort of in our interaction with others, interaction with the weather, interaction with the natural world, or our interaction sort of within ourselves, right? The organ interaction with, with other organs, points with organs, points with channels, et cetera, right? So it's all about this idea of resonance. And so sometimes I think maybe books like the Neijing really are medical books about cosmology and resonance. But sometimes I think, you know, they're probably really first and foremost books about cosmology and resonance. And oh, by the way, here's how we apply that to medicine, because this is really how it all works. Well, given the way that Chinese thinking seems to work, it's both and. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah totally. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree with you on that one, <laughs> without a doubt. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've studied a little bit of the Dongshu acupuncture, right, I, uh, through the books. And, and even I spent a little time with a practitioner when I lived in Taiwan, which was mm. interesting because it, uh, it was literally a bloody mess in there. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> oh, my God. This guy would, uh, yeah, he would often bleed the back and then stick cups on there with continuous suction. It was, it was, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a uh, bloodborne pathogen nightmare in there, but, but you know, really yeah. interesting. And um, so one of the things that to me is so interesting, again, we're looking at residents, we're looking at the various Taijis that we can see the body through. And there's a number of ways of imaging the body through the various Taijis. It's a great idea. And I found for myself in my own clinical practice, sometimes I get confused. It's like, which Taiji am I working with? And actually, when should I be working with which one? Now, there are certain times you want to use the greater Taiji, or there are certain times you want to use the smaller ones. Are there any guidelines or ways of thinking about how do we start to orient ourselves to looking at these particular resonances? I mean, it, this is this is a really good question, and you know, first before I before I even sort of delve into that question, I, I want to be clear that. When Master Dong himself taught in Taiwan, he really didn't talk much theory, right? And so he was a very traditional sort of teacher in that you really sort of followed him, watched what he did, and, you know, he would admonish people to sort of think about it for themselves. So all of the theory that we have that we talk about comes from the the sort of the thoughtful analysis by his students and his students' students, right? So mm. there are a number of different ways to to look at Dong's system because Master Dong himself never really exp – I mean, he, he gave us hints, and I think some of the hints are embedded within the system itself. But he never came out in his, in his own books that he wrote. Basically, they were just texts where it said, here's the point's location, here's what it treats, and that's it. Right? Yeah, it's, it's very Shanghai Lunish, isn't it? Yeah, it very it very much is. Uh, honestly, it very much is. And we, perhaps we can, you know, eventually we'll we'll go into that, uh, you know, that idea of how we just see medicine as an endeavor. But, you know, even before that. So when we're looking at the theory associated with Zong's acupuncture, there are lots of different ways of doing it. And 
you know, to some extent that's fine because even in our classical texts, there are lots of different approaches where we can look at the same sort of material through different lenses. So the lens that I choose to look at things is this lens of these, uh, of channel connections, of imaging resonances, right? Because this, for me, it makes sense. And I think when I'm teaching it to other people, it makes it easier for people to sort of grasp, right? So then, so that's the first piece of the the, the disclaimer, I guess. The, the question that you brought up of what image or what way of looking at it is best or, you know, which one are we triggering, to some extent, one of the answers, I think, is that there are all different ways, there are lots of different ways that the body can be mapped out onto itself. There are different sort of connections in the body, how channels connect to other channels, how channels connect to, to the Zhang organs, etc. To some extent, there's not one best way of looking at things. So when we're really trying to learn the system, in my opinion, there are two basic angles we need to look at. One of the basic angles is what are all of the theoretical connections that we see going on that we can describe, for example, how does this one channel connect to that channel, or how does the hand connect to the head, or how does the foot connect to the hand or the head? That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is simply looking at what the points have been used traditionally to treat, right? So not every point treats everything equally. Right. And so we know even from TCM, there are certain points that I would call heavy hitters mm -hmm. that really sort of have a wide ranging effect, both in terms of symptom management as well as uh, Tsang Fu regulation. And some that are maybe only really for symptomatic management. They don't have wide ranging regulatory effects. Right. So when we're looking at the theory, it's not that we can't also, or it's not that we can get away with only looking at the theory of what point maps to this area of the body without also looking at what these points were traditionally used for at the same time. Does that make sense? Yes. So the reason I teach the theory is so that we have a better understanding of why the points are doing what they're doing. So the theory is a way to help us understand and keep the points in our head at any one given time or another. Mm -hmm. It kind of orients us. It does, right. So when we're looking at, you know, what image am I trying to trigger, to some extent, the the real answer is, what point am I using and why am I using that point? Or why is this point, say, better for digestive problems than this other point for digestive problems? Or why is this point better for pain management than this other point for pain management in this part of the body? So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is I do believe that the more ways we can get a point to resonate with a, con with a certain area of the body or condition, the stronger that resonance is. So if I can get a, uh, you know, to take a TCM point, for example, right? So let's look at a point like uh, Zusanli, like stomach 36. Classic. Uh, of course. And Super heavy hitter, right? Yeah. A, and it's a heavy hitter because there's so many different ways of resonating with the things that it treats. So just looking at digestive problems in both. So, for example, we talk about different ways of mapping uh, points onto the body. Stomach 36 can be mapped into the area of the spleen stomach through all the different sort of image resonances that that we teach or that I teach, right? So looking at what I call the large Taiji, the medium Taiji, and the small Taiji, all of them can map stomach 36 to the digestive organs. Stomach 36 is in an area of thick flesh on tibialis anterior, depending on where you're needling it. 
So needling it into needling into areas of thick flesh also have a resonance with the earth phase spleen stomach. Mm-hmm. We know this because the 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 chapter in the Ling Shu chapter seven, uh, all the different needle techniques has a discussion of the five needle methods that match to the five tissues. In other words, the flesh, the sinew, the bone, the vessels, and the skin, as well as the zong organs. So needling into flesh treats disorders of flesh, as well as treats disorders of spleen stomach. Right. So all of those different types of resonances, we can match stomach 36 to the digestive organs. So because there's resonance after resonance after resonance, and oh, by the way, it's on an earth phase channel and it's an earth point on an earth phase channel all of it gets us into the area of spleen stomach so because there's so much resonance there's so much deep connection it it's like how can it not work i mean mm-hmm. that's i mean when i look at a point like that i think how can it possibly not work for all these specific indications so rather than looking at which is the best way to map something my my way of thinking is always how can I really see if that's a very strong mapping or a strong resonance on multiple layers at the same time? Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Right. So you're looking at channels, you're looking at five element, you're looking at, you know, is it fleshy? Is it not fleshy? Is it sinewy? And you're also looking at, at all like the antique correspondences all at the same time. Yes. And, you know, so <laughs> one of the things that I tell when I, when I teach a class in Dong's acupuncture, what I tell them is that for me, you know, personally, I don't really I mean, it may be heresy in certain circles to say this, but I don't really believe there's such a thing as, you know, Dong's acupuncture or Japanese acupuncture or Korean acupuncture or Chinese acupuncture, DCM acupuncture. To me, what all these different sort of systems approach to acupuncture are, are different ways of prioritizing treatment strategy. What do I start with? You know, what do I do first? What do I do second? Mm -hmm. What is my order of operations? What's the algorithm that I go through to affect a change in the, the, the diseased circulation of chi and blood in the area that I'm targeting, whether it's an organ, whether it's a part of the body. So for me, and what I tell my students is that they basically have to remember and put into practice all of the weird little details that we taught them in, in 
acupuncture points one or fundamentals one. They have to know all of the basic correspondences. They have to understand five phase. They have to understand all of the 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 channels, where they go, what they do, and all of the the basically the the five shoe points, the antique points. If right. they can do that, then they can use it flexibly. And so if they're a good TCM practitioner, they should be able to look at Dong's acupuncture and say, oh, I understand exactly what they're doing. May not be how I do it, but I understand what they're doing. And if you're a good practitioner of Dong's acupuncture, you should be able to look at the Japanese systems and say, oh, I totally understand what they're doing. May not be my my preferred strategy, but I understand what they're trying to do. Right. right because we're all looking at the same elephant. Yeah, exactly. And I so and I also tell people, and sometimes this gets me into trouble, and you know, maybe you'll get angry emails later about this, but I think there there's there's you know, I don't think there's such thing as even like classical acupuncture versus modern acupuncture or I like this type of system versus this type of system. I think there's acupuncture done well and there's acupuncture done not so well. Acupuncture done well takes basically its source as the core theories that we discussed in books like the Neijing and the Nanjing, right? And because if we truly believe there's a channel system, if we truly believe in yin yang and five phases and not just pay lip service to it, then it must underlie everything we do with a needle, everything. And if we don't believe in it, then it's fine. Then it's a different discussion. But if we believe in it, then we have to be able to sort of take all that information into play in what we're doing. And so good acupuncture makes reference to all of these theories and all these ideas and uses it flexibly. And I don't care if it's a modern approach like scalp acupuncture or if it's an approach that's been around for a long time. It's either good because it, one, it works effectively in the clinic and the reason I think it works effectively in the clinic is because it really sort of takes into consideration these core ideas of how the universe works and how our body works, if that makes sense. You know, it totally makes sense. I'm thinking, and it's it's mostly because I'm kind of a lazy person. And over the years in my own study of acupuncture, I mean, yes, of course, I've, I've read through the classic stuff, especially when I was in school. And you learn all the points and indications and those kinds of things. And then, you, and then I find that I get into clinic and it's like, oh, my God, now what do I do? And it's, help, it's been helpful, at least in the beginning, to have some kind of shorthand or some kind of like, oh, my God, where do I start? Well, I can start here. And again, because I'm a lazy person, I've often looked for shortcuts along the way. It's like, is there a way that I can like jumpstart and get really good at this without having to put all this minutia into play? And one of the things I've enjoyed about like the, the balance method, you know, the Dr. Tan stuff and the, and the Dong Shu to some extent is it's allowed me to orient in a way where maybe I don't understand something, but if I can tune in to a certain aspect, oh, I've got an elbow problem. Let me think about the knee. Oh, we've got a, a Xiaoyang issue. Okay. Let me, let me start with the Xiaoyang portion of the universe. How do I say this? It's like in the beginning, I thought, okay, I've got some shortcuts here that can help me. But what I found is there are no shortcuts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I, 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 I agree with both of those statements, actually. And, you know, when, when we're learning the material, you know, and I look at this, uh, you know, I look at this to some extent as a way of learning any kind of material. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned to you before we started the, before we started uh, recording, you know, one of, I, I'm a graduate of Oberlin Conservatory. So I was, uh, one of my early, you know, before I got into Chinese medicine, I was trained as a classical musician. Ah, so you've been involved in the classics for a long time then. I have. And, you know, and the, and I have to say, 
as where some people would would not necessarily see the connection the connection in my opinion between like learning classical medicine uh, classical medicine versus learning classical music is not so different honestly because the the way we approach it is to some extent fairly similar and one of the ways we approach it is that there's a constant spiraling of material deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and deeper right? Mm-hmm. So when we're taking a new musician, we can take a new musician and teach them to play a simple melody or even a complicated piece. And they don't necessarily have to understand all of the deep theoretical underpinnings of what exactly the composer was doing in order to play it for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. But what separates even an advanced beginner from a professional a performer is the professional performer gets so pickled in that in that in that in the music itself where they not only can play it but they understand to some extent exactly what's happening in terms of the melody in terms of the harmony in terms of whatever's going on on every level and what that does is it it sort of jumps up their skill level significantly so you know, one of the beautiful things about Chinese medicine is that it's, it really, in my opinion, taps into something so fundamental about what we are as humans, right? And how we interact with everything around us, how we interact with the cosmos, that even if you don't understand all of the nuances of what Stomach 36 does, it'll still do a, do a hell of a lot of it for you, regardless, right? So when learning the material material with Dong's acupuncture or any acupuncture system, you don't have to understand all of the theoretical underpinnings just to get started. And that's that's fantastic. So people can start with learning just two or three points and start using them in their clinic. Once they start using them in the clinic and seeing that they are effective, getting more confidence with it, then later on, as time goes on, they can start exploring what are the deeper meanings, what are the deeper meanings of what we're doing, right? And this is a process that, hopefully we all do, I think, for our whole lives. It's certainly a process that I do for my, hopefully it will do for my entire life. Yeah. I certainly don't, I, I'm, I'm definitely not the best acupuncturist I know. I'm probably not even the second or third best acupuncturist I know. You know, and I definitely don't know everything. But when I don't know something, I know that I don't necessarily know why it works, right? So, you know, I, I tell my students half in jest and half in not jest. When a teacher says to you, oh, it's empirical, Right. It means one of a couple of things. One, it means your teacher doesn't understand why it works. Two, it means maybe they're just too lazy to tell you why it works. Or three, maybe for some reason they don't think you're you, you can understand it or they just don't want to tell you for whatever reason. Now, none of those, you know, if, if they don't know why it doesn't work, that's not bad. But I don't fundamentally believe that anything is empirical. If something works, and again, if we believe in five phases, in yang channel systems, then there's a reason why it works clinically. Yeah, I mean, there. How could it possibly work if there's no underlying reason for it to work? Again, if we believe fundamentally in the theories of qi blood, of five phases, of yin yang, of channels, etc., then there has to be a reason why a point does what it does. There's no such thing as empirical. I certainly don't know what every, why every point does what it does. It, I don't think any person can ever 100% know everything. Well, and part of the part of the joy of doing this work is discovering these things. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm the first person to tell someone, you know, I use this clinically. I know it does work. I may not understand why it works, but we can be comfortable in still using something without knowing 100% why. 
you know, West, Western doctors have done this for, for a long time. Are you kidding? Some, they do it all the time. All the time, all the time. But as long as we're honest with saying, I don't know why it works, I know that it does work, we can still use it clinically. So beginners can still use points without understanding all of the details. But I do believe that over time, understanding all of the underpinnings helps us really sort of hone down, like, when is this point the absolute best, perhaps, as as a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's the theory is good, it's important, but it's, but people still not be afraid to sort of just jump in with both feet and start using material. Got it. I want to come back for a moment to the, the, the three Taijis, the large, the, the medium, and the small. Are there any particular instances where you'd really want to be thinking, hey, I want to use the large Taiji resonance for something? Or you know, likewise, are there any particular situations where you think, ooh, that, that, that small Taiji uh, is going to give you more bang for your buck? Well, I mean, to some extent, I think it depends on the part of the body you're working with, right? So certain parts of the body have a stronger resonance with 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 one way of mapping over the other. So, I mean, something as simple as ear acupuncture. Ear acupuncture, I don't think really resonates with any other Taiji except a small Taiji. I mean, we could potentially argue that it does, but in actual application, maybe not so much. You know, I think for very simple muscular skeletal problems, relatively simple injury, for example, mm -hmm. the large Taiji is fairly effective and fairly effective quickly, right? And this is the basis of some of the, te uh, the teachings that Dr. Tan became, you know, I think we all owe him a great debt of gratitude uh, in that he really, in a very vocal way, exposed acupuncturists in the United States to a, perhaps a different way of thinking beyond the sort of basic way we're taught in school, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and in fact, I've, I mean, I also went to a school that taught a variety of styles of acupuncture, but I, I remember going to a Dr. Tan class and it made sense to me, partly because I had a background that said, be open to lots of different things. And this was one that just made a lot of sense right from the get-go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and to me, it made a lot of sense because one of the one of my other sort of before I studied Chinese medicine, I, I'd studied Asian martial arts from the time I was very young. You know, I think I started when I was nine or ten. And uh, the connections that we see in the large Taiji, for example, that the large joints have a resonance with one another. Right. The knees and the elbows go together. The hips and the shoulders go together. The wrists and the ankles go together. This is even in, for example, in in Taiji is in Taiji, the martial art theory we talk about as the three external harmonies, right? So this is an important, this is a big deal in martial arts theory, and especially in terms of push hands or application of forms, right? So these ideas of how the body is sort of interconnected are not unique to Chinese medicine, but they're also there throughout the systems of sort of body cultivation that are also part of the larger tradition of of health and wellness in, in Chinese history, right? So these were these were relationships that I had already heard about and that I was comfortable with, right? And I just never considered maybe we can apply these to acupuncture theory, right? And then but, you run to the Dong style and you go, wow, there it is. Here we go, right? Here Absolutely, it here it is, exactly. And it, it, there's no reason, it, it since it works in one system, there's no reason it shouldn't work in another system. Right, because is, is this about cosmology or medicine? Yes. 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 Yeah. Is it is it cosmology? Med, you know, masking is medicine, or is it medicine masked in cosmology? And the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. What about that that middle Taiji? Are there any particular instances where you you'd want to 
start to think about that particular resonance. The middle Taiji is nothing more than Jinging Shu Jinghe. It's the five antique points, right? Okay. And so those are at play all the time as well. Uh, and this teaching of the five antique points, to, to some extent, in, in my way of looking at acupuncture, is one of the fundamental teachings of, of what we're doing, right? Acupuncture doesn't add chi to the system. It doesn't nourish you and it doesn't build blood. It doesn't, you know, move any, it, what acupuncture does right. is- It's not is, an herb. It's not going to act it's like not an, an herb. herb. Right. right. And what, so what it does is it gives the body of stimulus of some, in some way, shape or form of saying, this is yin, this is yang. Move, consolidate, right? Go out, go in. So, or up or down, right? So, but what it's doing is it's normalizing circulation of chi and blood in the body. And to some extent, whether we see chi as something that is substantive and real as far as we can sort of understand reality, it doesn't really matter because it's a model that seems to work. And so I'm comfortable not knowing the fundamental nature of chi as long as the model for me as a physician works. And it, it does, it works very well. So what acupuncture is doing is it's giving a stimulus. The reason why the jing and the ing points do what they do is because they are distal, they're yang, they have a certain function and a certain message that it gives the body. The reason that the, the jing river and the he uniting points do what they do is because they're proximal, they're yin. And so by virtue of them being proximal and yin, they give the body a slightly different message perhaps, right? And then since all of them are related to the five phases, we see that every channel has a connection to all of the five phases. So to me, the middle Taiji is the fundamental, most important way of looking at the dynamics of yin and yang in the body. Now, what it's also telling us is that all of the, every condition in the body can be treated by these points from the knees and the elbows down, which is again, the fundamental teaching of books like the Nanjing, right? Because that's really what the Nanjing talks about. So this, I mean, it's, it's, it's a much deeper theoretical discussion. This is the basis of why, for example, in Dong's acupuncture, we say that points like on the hands and the fingers treat more acute conditions where points on the thigh, right, from the knee up to the trunk treat more chronic conditions. Because what the middle Taiji teaches us is that we can look at the body as yin and yang and then use those body relationships to exploit a specific movement of chi and blood. And it's very vague, but you know, it's, it's probably the best we can do in a, in a short, in a short discussion. Mm -hmm. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 
to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Okay. I want to get a little bit into some of the, uh, I mean, we're talking about stomach 36. We all know about that. Uh, without getting too simple, but just as a way of maybe enticing people to think about this Dong style and maybe take a little bit into their practice just from being able to, having spent a little time with this podcast. Can you give us a couple of uh, points or combinations or areas of the body to think about that would be helpful in an everyday practice? Let's just say it's almost like a little mini lesson here, something that would give people an introduction both to being able to use this in their clinic, but also to demonstrate some of these principles that we've been talking about here so far. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think we can certainly. I mean, perhaps the most famous, one of the most famous points in Dong's system is this point, uh, lingu, you know, miraculous bone or spirit bone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's the point given the number that they use in the Dong system is 22.05. And the numbering system is kind of crazy, but, you know, that's it's a bigger discussion and it's yeah well the, the numbering numbers, system we already have is kind of crazy too so yeah it's, it's, just, it's, it's just another numbering system they're they're, they're all right <laughs> they're, they're all exactly it's just one that people aren't familiar with so they're they're all kind of meaningless they're all kind of crazy it's even more meaningless to some extent in dong's acupuncture i mean part of it is um but so lingu is located on the hand uh really just proximally to to hugu, to large to large intestine four right so we're basically on the the back of the hand at the junction of the metacarpal bones in the space just proximal to uh, to large intestine four you know this is a point that has a it's it's very commonly used it's something that people since people are already used to needling large intestine four they can incorporate this easily into their into their repertoire uh, it's just basically large intestine four needled slightly differently. Now, in Dong's acupuncture, this point has a, a number of different functions or a number of different uses. So certainly, it's a major pain. Uh, it's it's a major pain relieving point. It has a very strong way of coursing the qi and qi and blood. And if we look at the specific indications, we see it has a, a very strong resonance, especially with, for example, the the head has a strong resonance with the lower abdomen, so it's used commonly to treat uh, gynecological complaints. It also has a resonance with the low back, with the hips, and it also has a resonance with uh, with the lower part of the body, the foot. So, you know, let's say, for example, uh, and the reason it has resonances with those areas is because of all the different ways we can divide the body up. So uh, just looking at the large Taiji, which is how we're mapping the arm to the leg or the arm to the trunk, the hand can be representative of the head. So if the hand goes to the head, the elbow goes to the navel region, right to the height of the of, of renate and mingmen on the back of do four on the back. And the shoulder goes down to the lower trunk. So the hand clearly has a resonance with the head. The hand and the foot also have a resonance, right? So if we have problems in the head, we have problems in the feet, we can use a point on the hand. Very now, common, we, can, we all do that anyway. Very common, right? And this is a very common and easy easy use of the point. The point itself, if we're looking at the area of the hand, we can invert the relationship. Why? Because if you think about it, hand treats head is using a distal part of the body. Hand is distal, which makes it yang, right? Basic theory. Head is superior, 
of is compared to the rest of the trunk, which also makes it yang, right? Basic theory. So using yang to treat yang, I tell my students is not not so interesting, not so sexy, not so fun, right? Because we know the Neijing set tells us that the superior acupuncturist leads yang from yin, yin from yang, treats right from left, left from right, right? This is in the early portion of the suwen. So one of the basic things we understand in Chinese medicine is that yin and yang are mutually rooted. They can transform into one in each other in, into one another, and so they have a strong resonance. So instead of now using the hand to treat the head, which is yang to treat yang, I can use the hand, which is yang, to treat the lower part of the trunk, which is yin. Right. And so that's what we would call an inverted relationship or an inverted image of some sort. Mm-hmm. So the hand has a connection to the head, to the foot, to the lower back. So let's say we have a sciatic patient. Uh, and, you know, the typical sciatic patient, you know, a first year TCM student will think, OK, great. What channel is the Is it on the bladder channel? Is it on the gallbladder channel? And the patient comes in and they're a real patient. Unfortunately, they're not just a textbook. So the real patient says, oh, you know. I have pain in my low back and it's right in the middle and it goes right to the side of the back as well. And so it's, you know, it's my, like the quadratus lumborum area. It's right over the spine and it sort of radiates into the back of my buttocks and then it goes into my groin area and then it sort of skips the upper leg and it goes down into my foot and it sort of goes down the side of my foot and the calf at the same time. And then it goes into my big toe, right? Because- yeah, love those. Yeah, because if you're a practicing <laughs> acupuncturist, you know that this is what a real sciatic patient looks like, right? Yeah. So let's let's break it down. So I have the low back, I have the hip, the hand can go to that area. I have the lower part of the, so it goes down to the toe, the foot, the hand can go to that area as well. Say the patient comes and they have headache that day, you know, hand goes to the head as well. So we can use basically one point to treat, let's say 80% or 90% of that patient's problems right there. So the hand lingu is on the large intestine channel, because even though a point doesn't actually, it's, we don't have a, a TCM point right in that exact location, it's along the large intestine channel. So the, we know the large intestine is the yang ming. Uh, that's an important piece to remember. And as an acupuncturist, I think it's sometimes more important to understand that the, right, in Chinese, they don't say the large intestine channel. They say the han yang ming. Han yang ming, exactly. I mean, it gives you a lot of clues right there if you're doing it in Chinese. Absolutely, absolutely. And so as an acupuncture teacher, I really wish we got our students in the, in the habit of saying it's the Han Yang Ming of the large intestine, right? So yes. that they remember all of that. So right away, we know that the Han Yang Ming can treat the area of the, of the big toe, right? There's a connection between the Yang Ming and the Jue Yin, right? So the Yang Ming large intestine can treat the Jue Yin liver, which is the big toe. This is one of the reasons why the four gates are such a good point combination, right? When we're looking at traditional point combinations, it's important to look not only at what the points do as if they were herbs, which is how we, how we teach the four gates, but also the channel connections and resonances. So here we have the large intestine and the liver have a strong resonance. We also know from the 10 stems that the, the yin wood stem right? That's the E stem. Jia is yang wood. E is yin wood. And the gung stem, which is the yang metal stem, right? So stem number two and stem number seven also have a resonance, right? So there's a reason now, why- this is where your classical music training really comes in, doesn't it? Well, I, I think so, <laughs> right? This is, this, is, this is looking at all of the subtle connections that may be present there. So 
here we have a resonance not only from hand to foot, from the the Yangming to the Jueyin, but also from the Yang metal specifically to the Yin wood. So there's no way that that hand point can't treat that area of the foot, right? When we're looking at moving into the groin, if that we're stay, still looking at the sciatica patient, the groin can be either stomach channel, liver channel, Yangming large intestine goes to Yangming stomach, Yangming large intestine can still go to Jueyin liver, right? So we're, yes. we're covered there. On the back, with looking at the spine in particular, the spine is the dumai, uh, but it's also the internal branch of the kidney channel, right? So let's, when we're looking at channels, we have to memorize not only the external branches, but also where they go internally. So the large intestine and the kidney channel are opposite one another in the timing of the day, right? So large intestine channel is five to seven in the morning, kidney channel is in the evening opposite that time, right? And so those channels also have a connection. I think it's a really, it's, it's a travesty that when we learn this, this cycle of the, what time goes with each channel, we just assume that automatically, oh, if it's midnight, it's a gallbladder channel problem. And I think that's, that's completely the wrong way to understand it. And I can back that up with quotes from the Suan and the Ling Shu to prove my point at a, you know, we can have that conversation later. In my opinion, the time of the day is more important for us to understand different yin-yang connections of the different channels. So the large intestine channel by itself has a connection to kidney channel, which is the spine. So we can go from lingu to the spine. Via the, via the clock opposite. Via the clock opposites, right. Mm -hmm. Now the lingu, when I, when I know that there are different ways of needling lingu, my preference of needling lingu is to point it towards the area of the thenar eminence, right? So we're pointing it down towards roughly large intestine 10 vicinity. I'm sorry, to lung 10 vicinity, right? Mm -hmm. So we're connecting essentially the large intestine channel with and the, the lung with channel. With the lung channel, yeah. With one needle, right. So this is a, what we call a through and through needle technique. And just in case your listeners, if they're new to that idea, it doesn't mean the needle comes out the other side, but the needle tip is going to the space of where the channel is because it's not right on the skin, it's in the tissue. So one needle, we connect large intestine to lung channel. Now the lung tie-in has a connection to the, the bladder tie-yang, which means that that point can also get us into the vicinity of like quadratus lumborum. That makes sense? Totally makes sense. And so the only channel we haven't covered basically is if there's any gallbladder channel distribution, which we can cover by adding in maybe one other point on the hand or on the arm or something like that. So with one point, we can have all these different types of resonances. Then even beyond that, for example, when we feel the pulse, for me, lingu as a point has a particularly good effect at coursing qi and blood. We know it's on the Yangming channel, which is full of qi and blood. When the pulse comes back as particularly wiry, then in my view, this is, so this is where sometimes, in my opinion, the just doing the image may get us, get us there most of the time, but not as much as we'd like. Because I've had lots of students come back and say, oh, lingu didn't work when I had a sciatica. And I always ask them, what's the pulse like? What's the rest of the presentation like? If the, case, if the patient has a real sort of strong kidney deficiency pattern, right, if the pulse is deep and thready, in my opinion, lingu is not the first point, of uh, first point to choose. Lingu, in my opinion, is the first point to choose when we have this very hard, wiry pulse. 
which can sometimes be more of an acute condition. It can be chronic in a certain in, in other certain types of presentations. But the wiry pulse, if we're looking at pulse diagnosis, one of the pulse diagnosis approaches that I really like is the sort of what I call the archetypal pulses of the five phases, which are described as the pulses of the five seasons, right? Mm-hmm. So wiry pulse is the archetypal pulse of spring, of liver, of wood phase. Again, the relationship then is lingu is on the large intestine channel. The large intestine yang metal goes to the yin wood. Large intestine also as a metal channel is also in a control cycle relationship with wood. So if the pulse is primarily giving me a message of wood as the main movement of the five phases in the body somehow. Then this point would really knock it out of the park. Exactly. Because this point, and this is why precisely the the four gates does what it does, right? Not only because of the yang metal to yin wood, but also because there's a five phase control cycle relationship, right? So we can do needle technique on the large intestine channel specifically to course, in other words, to drain the the stasis in wood. Make right. sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Now, and I'm sure you could go on with more of this. You mentioned that if they've got this sort of deep, thready kidney pulse, kidney deficiency pulse. Yes. Where, what would you think about that? Where would you start with that? Well, then we have to choose a point that has a resonance somehow with the kidney, right? And so there's a, there are a set of points on the side of the hand in Dong's acupuncture called the wrist flow, the wanshun points. Uh, they're located in the vicinity, pretty much overlapping the area of small intestine three, and then a little further down at the, so there's one basically at the head and the base of the, the fifth, uh, metac- uh the fifth, uh, the fifth metacarpal bone, uh, metacarpal bone, right? Mm-hmm. So there, it's not quite all the way at small intestine four. It's a little closer into small intestine three, but they're in that general vicinity. It's called wrist flow. These points in Dong's acupuncture have an association with the with the kidney. In particular, we know that they're on the Taiyang channel, which means they have an association with the Taiyang bladder, which brings us very clearly into that water. Right, into the Shaoyang kidney. Absolutely. And then we know that small intestine three Right. Small intestine three is a shoestream point. The shoestream point treats pain, uh, it treats conditions of pain and heaviness in the channel. And then then we have to ask ourselves, even in conventional acupuncture, what's the relationship of small intestine three? What is that, what what else does that we know about that point? So small intestine three is the the shoestream points on the yang channels are wood points. Small intestine channel by itself, even though in Dong's acupuncture, this area of the body that area of the hand is associated with the kidney. In regular Chinese medicine, regular channel theory, small intestine channel is a fire channel. So the relationship between wood point and fire channel means that small intestine three, since wood is the mother of fire, small intestine three is the supplementation point of the small intestine channel. So we know that the fundamental nature of small intestine three even in classical, conventional, whatever you want to call regular 12-channel system acupuncture, the fundamental nature of small intestine 3 is as a point that has a supplementing effect on the channel. More so than, say, you know, the area of lingu. Right. So, so it would be yeah. better point 
for a deficient condition. Exactly. Right. So that area of the hand we would potentially look at, which is why we see indications in the traditional Dong lineage literature of, of things like pain in the body accompanied by fatigue, right? So we would diagnose this as like a kidney yang insufficiency or kidney insufficiency in general because, you know, yang or yin, I don't know how comfortable I am with that, with only using acupuncture, not bringing in herbs or mox or something else, right? Mm -hmm. But if there's a kidney insufficiency, the kidney's not consolidating at the same time there's pain, then we can use points like that. And then and then after that, we have to go down to the legs, which have a more of a, a sort of like a stabilizing, consolidating effect because legs compared to arms are more yin. The nature of yin is to hold and consolidate, which is why all of the Indong's acupuncture, all of the important points for treating insufficiency of the five zong organs are on the legs. This is the polar opposite of a system of shortcuts. Yes, but you can. It is, but students can still learn. You know, pulse wiry excess condition. Here are the images. Lingo. You know, pulse deep and weak. Just go to this point group. So we can start with really sort of like, you know, it's like when I teach classes, even even if we spend days and days learning points, I usually say, okay, these are maybe the top thirty heavy hitters that you should start using in your clinic, even if you don't understand why you're using them figure out what their main indications are and start using them in those patients and see what you can do. You know, that makes so much sense because even if we don't completely understand it, if we can get it to work, it'll keep us going. That's right. It'll keep our patients going. And eventually, the more we use things and the more we think about things, in general, the more the points begin to speak to us in a certain way. And these associations are easier to make. They do. Absolutely. And these, you know, these, you know, it's like when I see a point, when I see a patient, all these associations are going through my head basically constantly. But I didn't start there. Right. We st we start from a place of just, you know, there was benefit to just memorize it first. And that's another way that classical music training and classical medicine training was similar at the beginning. You know, when I remember when I was, uh, before I went to Chinese medicine professionally, I, I worked for a number of years as a high school music teacher and I, I taught instrumental music. That was my, my, my background. And I remember someone coming up to me one day and saying, Oh, that must be such a creative job. And I thought to myself for a second, I said to them, actually, no, it's not because I'm an instrumental music teacher, which means for the first 10 years, if they want to be serious musicians, they have to do it exactly what the way I say it. They don't have any say in how they do it. That's right. It's technical school here. Exactly. I mean, you mm -hmm. can only learn. There's only one. There's maybe a couple, but there's really only one set of fingerings for, you know, a flute without much variation. And until they can do it, you know, when I was conservatory, I used to sit in a dark practice room and do my scales an hour or two at a time, just over and over and over. And then arpeggios over and over and over. Because until you have it in your fingers, you can't really make art with it, right? So we have to start with some sort of basic memorization of key facts, key information. It's the same thing with acupuncture. So we have to start with, you know, what are the 30 main points? That's why something like the Ma Dan Yang 12 star, heavenly star points is such a great thing, right? Here we are. Okay, these are 12 points that treat lots and lots of conditions. Just memorize this and you got a good place to start. I'm not familiar with those points. Where, um, where did that come from? The Madan Yang Heavenly Star Points, he was, uh, if you, I, I mean, they're referenced in, even in Deadman, they have them. They're a list of 12, 12 essential points. Madan Yang was a famous Taoist. I, I'm going to, I'm going to get the dynasty wrong, so I'm not even going to say it. 
but you know he had a list of 12 key points that were really good for a wide range and they're heavy hitters right so like points like gallbladder 30 was one of the points and, you mm-hmm. know, so it's like certain points treat a wide range of conditions. These are the ones you start with. You know, I think, I think this is such an important thing that you just say, is that these points, we start with them. We don't end with them. Right. Absolutely. They get us started. In fact, they give us a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of speed. Like when you first get on a bicycle, you need a little oomph to, uh, to catch your balance. These kind of points will get us going, and, and then they can open up a tremendous rabbit hole if we're paying attention. Absolutely. And, you know, and part of me wishes that in conventional acupuncture teaching, we didn't just say, okay, here's the stomach channel and here's every single point on the stomach channel. Perhaps it would be better if we said in points one, we're going to do all the channels, but learn maybe the top four or five points on each channel and just start with that. And then in points two, we're going to go back through all the channels and fill in the blanks perhaps a little bit better. You know, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm thinking, well, as we were talking earlier, we can talk about the lung channel or we can talk about the hand tie-in. Yes. And if you're thinking about hand tie-in, you're already making all kinds of other associations. Well, I mean, and the, I think that the, even the more important part of that is even if the student doesn't remember all the associations, if they're memorizing it as the hand tie-in channel, then six months after that, they'll say, oh, that's an important connection. And then a year later, they'll be like, oh, that's another important connection. Mm-hmm. But if they never memorize it as the hand tie-in channel, then they'll never make those connections. That's right, because that pathway is just not there. That's right, exactly. Yeah. Great. Henry, I'm, I'm just looking at the time here. I can't believe it has flown by so quickly. I've got so much more I'd actually like to talk to you about, so maybe we can do a part two somewhere down the road. Yeah, that's fine. I, yeah. I'd be more than happy to it. Yeah. Happy to do it. Yeah. Um, but before we close it down, is there any final closing remarks or things that you'd like our listeners to think about? For me, the most important lesson of all of this really is this, this what we sort of started talking about, which is this, this idea of resonance, right? You know, in Chinese, they call it the gan ying, right? So this is like mm-hmm. how we sort of have this ongoing dialogue with in the big scheme of things, it's how our body has this ongoing dialogue with the natural environment, right? How our spleen has an ongoing dialogue with the different channels and the other organs, right? And so it's a matter of eventually learning all of those and being sensitized, excuse me, to all of those connections that are going on all the time. And, you know, this for me is my personal koan, I guess, right? It's like, how can I look at this in everything that's going on? Not only in my acupuncture, not only in my like my my tai chi, my martial arts practice, or my qigong practice, but how it, how is it happening even in in how I relate to other people in in society? Everything is like all these different ways of looking at resonance. And so Chinese medicine to me is, I mean, it's a great profession and and it supports me well. And uh, I think I hopefully I help uh, help lots of people and that makes their lives better. But it's also this way of exploring the sort of thoroughgoing interconnectedness of all things, right? It's another medium of exploring that. And to some extent, that biggest piece of the philosophy is what keeps me interested in doing it year after year after year. I mean, because if you're practicing clinician, you know it gets tedious, right? I saw patients for 12 hours in the clinic yesterday, back to back to back to back to back. And if you don't have something that sort of lights that fire underneath you, 
that's when the burnout happens. But if you have that, that fire that's there, that sort of constant sense of inquiry, then, you know, I've been in practice for 18 years now, and I've done this kind of schedule for most of that time. And it's still every day I go in, I never, they're very, there's very rarely a day where I go into the office and think I'd rather be somewhere else. And partly it's because of that, that sort of those deeper philosophical questions are sort of underpin everything that I do. And that's good. I think it's a good way to sort of think about things. Yeah. Going into clinic and life every day with a constant state of inquiry. Absolutely. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Henry, thank you so much for your time today. I really have enjoyed this conversation and look forward to another one. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.